Heavenly Father, you tell us, Lord, it is good to give thanks to you, that it is good to sing for the Most High God. Lord, as we sing to you this morning, Lord, we are declaring your steadfast love. Lord, you love us in ways that are immeasurable. Lord, ways that are difficult or impossible for us to fully comprehend. And yet, God, that is the way that you have loved us. That you have loved us by giving your Son, Jesus Christ. That you have given us, you've given to us everything that we need for life and godliness. Lord, you provide with us day after day after day that your mercies are new every morning that your, our sins have been cast into an ocean without a bottom and without shores, never to be found again. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you for the beauty of your grace. And I pray this morning as we open up your word and as we study your word this morning that, that you would challenge us to understand in a greater way that you are good to us that you are good to us and the manner that you deal with us is a manner that we so easily mess up. But God, help us. Lord, help us to be desiring your heart, to be desiring your purposes, to be following you, God, because we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this time the kids can be dismissed to Children's Church. Um, As they go, I want to encourage the rest of you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Mark. I love that it's a race out here. I don't know if I love it or not. I mean, I'm glad the kids are racing to go to Children's Church. I'll be careful. The rest of you are going to race out of here and say, oh, he loves it when we race out as well. Well, as we think in Mark chapter 2, we're going to be looking this morning in Mark chapter 2, verses 20 through 23, down through chapter 3, verse 6. As we look at this, we're going to see um, in this passage how the, a group of religious leaders had kind of turned some rules upside down. And that being, turning rules upside down is something that isn't just related to what happened with the Pharisees back in the time of Jesus. That is something that we can easily do in our own lives, that we can turn rules upside down. And so really, rather than being about the purpose and the reason for the rules, that the rules take on a life for themselves. In our passage this morning, we're going to see that the Pharisees did that when it came to the Sabbath, that the Sabbath was the last day of the week that nobody was supposed to work on. And, and, And it became such a big deal that anything that you did, if you broke the rule, that was the issue. You broke this rule. As we think about how that unfolds sometimes in our church cultures and the church culture in the United States, we would look at things like things like dancing, playing cards, and going to movies. Uh, those would be things that, um, in fundamental circles, um, historically, that those are things that you did not do. That those were uncompromising rules. You don't dance, you don't play cards, and you, you, you don't dance, you don't play cards, you don't go to the movies, Period. And as we think about that, these activities, that, that sometimes the, the list grew bigger than that. It became like the forbidden five, uh, the nasty nine, if you're really spiritual, the dirty dozen. You know, all these things that you don't do if you really love God. And, and yet there can be good reasons for avoiding some of these activities. Certainly we could look at there can be dancing that could be very immoral. Uh, we can recognize that playing cards and the kind of card games that you play can lead to significant spiritual problems, can lead to uh, a gambling addiction. And we can look at movies, that, that movies, just because you go to a movie, there, there are some bad movies that shouldn't, you, we shouldn't watch. And so we can understand that underneath the rules, things like dancing, playing cards, and going to the movies, underneath those rules are reasons that are very good. Because God doesn't want us to be immoral. God doesn't want us to be 
to have our lives trapped by some kind of addictions. But God doesn't want our worldviews to be shaped by ungodly thinking through movies. So their rules, uh, the rules can be good if we understand what's underneath them. But oftentimes what happens is the rules take a life of themselves. And so it's any kind of dancing is always wrong. Any kind of playing cards is always wrong. And any kind of movie is always wrong. And we realize that that is a very similar thing to what happened in the passage that we're going to see this morning. Well, this morning's passage is all about the Sabbath. And what I've done this morning, I've wrestled with how to unfold this, and so I'm just going to give you the outline up front, all right? So those of you who love blanks, you're going to fill a bunch of them out right now, except for two of them. Okay, what's happening in our passage? Let's read it, and then I'm going to give you all these blanks, okay? Let's read our passage together. Mark chapter 2, verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck the grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, and he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat? And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered a synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal the man on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. And the Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. As we understand what's going on in this passage, here's what we see. We see two big ideas. In the first section, we see the disciples are plucking grain on the Sabbath. And the second thing we see is that Jesus heals the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath. Okay, those are the two big things that we see going on in our passage this morning. What we also see in common is parallel in these two passages is that the disciples did what the Pharisees considered to be unlawful. It wasn't right for them to be plucking this grain on the Sabbath. It was unlawful for them. We also see that Jesus did what the Pharisees saw or they considered unlawful on the Sabbath. Okay, so the Pharisees are seeing both Jesus and his disciples doing what is unlawful. Then as we look in this as well, as we see this another parallel, that Jesus questioned the Pharisees' understanding of David's unlawful actions. He says to them, have you never read? Okay, the first part of it, and then as we see Jesus, then in the second part, questioning the Pharisees' understanding of what is lawful. And he's asking him, is it lawful to do good or evil? To heal? Uh, is it lawful? And so he's asking that. So that, I want to lay all that out for you because as we think through how we're going to unfold this, we need to see that the big idea in this passage has to do with the Sabbath. Okay, this rule that God gave that we're to not work on the Sabbath. And that is the big 
rule. And we're going to see how the Pharisees had made things about the rule rather than the reasons for the rule. Okay, so to do this, we need to look all the way back to the beginning. Okay, so turn your Bibles with me to the book of Genesis. Okay, we want to understand the Sabbath and what it was all about. So Genesis chapter 2 by the way, if you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible close to you. Grab one of those. This is on page, actually page two of the uh, pew Bible. In Genesis chapter two, verses one to three, we see this first picture of the Sabbath. It says this, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host with them. And on the seventh day, which by the way, the seventh day would be what day of the week? Okay, Saturday, right, the end of the week, on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work that he had done in creation. So, six days, God's working, working, working. Seventh day, God rests, and he establishes that pattern for us, a pattern of work and a rest. As we see that, in many ways, the good thing that God gives to us. So it's not work, 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 and work, 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 work more. It's work, 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 rest. Work, 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 rest. And God gives us a Sabbath for rest. Well, we see this also then in Ten Commandments. Turn with me to the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 20, this is on page 61 in your pew Bible. So God creates Adam and Eve, they sin, they're kicked out of the garden, um, they have kids, Cain and Abel, Cain kills Abel, um, God's made a promise that he's going to restore things, but it's clearly not Abel because he's dead, it's clearly not Cain because he's a murderer, the sin grows in the world, God floods the world, Noah and his family are rescued through that, the People build a tower of Babel, and God confuses the language, spreads it out. God sends, raises up Abraham, makes great promises to him about a nation, and he's going to make this great nation, and ultimately that's Israel. They end up in Egypt. They're there for 430 years, become a great nation of about 2 million people. They're getting enslaved, and God then brings them out miraculously. He gives all these plagues, parts the Red Sea, brings Israel through it. Moses is leading them, and they get to Mount Sinai. Moses goes up on Mount Sinai, and God gives him the Ten Commandments. And he gives him these Ten Commandments. And Ten Commandments, and when we get to the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, let's read it together. It says this, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work. But on the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your great gates. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. So the Sabbath is all about what? Rest. God gave it for, to be able to rest. He doesn't want this day to be a burden. It's a time of refreshing, a time of good for the people. And he says, don't work on the Sabbath. So, Ten Commandments, we see this. Now, Israel now, for 40 years, they're going to rebel against God. They're going to wander through the desert for 40 years. A generation of people are going to pass away. And then God's going to raise up, and he's going to send the people across the Jordan River to take their promised land. 
And when God does that, he reminds the people about these Ten Commandments that he gave 40 years ago. And he does this in Deuteronomy chapter 5. Okay, turn there with me. So Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 40 years passes. It's Deuteronomy chapter 5. This is on page 150 in your pew Bible. Now, I want you to pay close attention because something's different when he gives the Ten Commandments now or this, this commandment than he did the first time. Okay, so pay close attention. See if you can pick up what the change is. In verse 12, it says this. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox or your donkey or any of the livestock or the sojourner who is with you within your gates that, you, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the, Holy One, the, and the Lord your God brought you out from, from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. What's changed? Before, the Sabbath was tied to what? Work, 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 work rest. Does he talk about creation in this passage? No. What's he talking about? He talking, he's talking about that the Sabbath is now not tied to creation. Now the Sabbath is tied to redemption. It is tied to God bringing them out of slavery. That it is God's work of salvation, of God's work of rescuing his people that God has worked so that now what can they do? Rest. That they can rest where? In the promised land that God's giving to them. God's giving this land of flowing with milk and honey. And so we see this, this shift from keeping the Sabbath because work, work, work and rest to redemption. And we'd put these together and we would see that what is the Sabbath all about? The Sabbath is about rest and redemption. And in both cases, it's about God's work and our rest. And we're going to see this unfold and how the Pharisees saw that. They understood these testaments and how they took it. And over time, and they saw this rule of not working on the Sabbath because we're supposed to rest. God worked. And so we want to honor God by having this rule. We want to make sure that we're keeping the rule. Which, is that a good thing, to keep the rule? Well, yeah, Absolutely. Okay, we want to keep the God's given those rules, and those rules are good, therefore are good, and so we should desire to keep them. And so we see this idea that God gave the Sabbath for our good. He gave the Sabbath to be a blessing to his people. Well, what happens? Well, we get here back to the New Testament, back to the days of Jesus, and the Word of God, these laws have been around for 1,500 years Okay, the 1,500 years. And, and what are the Pharisees and what has happened to these laws? Well, as we look again in our passage in verse 23, we see that the disciples are plucking grain when? On the Sabbath. Okay, because we realize that the issue itself of plucking grain wasn't a big deal. I mean, they, 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 God had made provisions. And in many ways, it's like this. So Jesus and his disciples are going one place to the other. There's no place to eat. 
It's like going down the highway on a Sunday and you stop at Chick-fil-A to eat. Uh, what are we going to do? Chick-fil-A's closed on Sunday. So what do you do? Well, we've got to find something else. I guess just go to McDonald's or something and just get by. Right? And so, no place to eat. So what do they do? And they're going through and they're walking through a grain field and they're plucking the grain with their hand, the heads of the grain, rubbing it between their hands to get rid of the, the wheat, the chaff and stuff. And so there's just the grain and then they're eating the grain, which was perfectly lawful. In the book of Deuteronomy chapter 23, we're told this. If you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. And so the idea is you're, you're hungry, you're walking someplace, you're walking through your neighbor's grain field to pick a little bit, rub between your hands and eat it. It's not a big deal. It's not going to affect his harvest. It's not going to impact things very much. Perfectly fine to do. But you can't get out your sickle and start like taking like a whole bagfuls of it. Okay? And so perfectly legal. But what was the problem with the Pharisees? It wasn't that they were doing this, but they were doing it when? On the Sabbath. Because the Sabbath is a day where you're not supposed to work. Well, the Pharisees are doing, or the, the disciples are doing what the Pharisees considered unlawful. And we see this. The Pharisees, they were sticklers for the law. I mean, listen, and they did this because they really wanted to honor God. And they thought the best way to honor God is to make sure we keep all the rules. And the way that we make sure we keep all the rules is to make sure that nobody breaks them. And so when God says you don't work on the Sabbath, you don't work on the Sabbath. Don't even get close to it. And so what they did is, so if this is don't work on the Sabbath, they built these extra rules around it. Okay? So that if on the, on the Sabbath, you weren't supposed to harvest your crop. Because harvesting your crop, that's a lot of work. Don't do that on the Sabbath. But because they've built these oral traditions of the law, what became work is now if I pluck a grain and I rub it between my hands because I'm hungry and I want to get something to eat, you're breaking the law. Okay, do, we see, do you see how they've corrupted the law? They've added to it, but they added to it to make sure that nobody does anything wrong. And they did this largely at one level because they wanted to honor God. But they end up missing the heart issue on this. And so the Pharisees see this, the disciples as violating what God has called them to do, and they call them on that. And look what Jesus does. So verse 25, Jesus' response is interesting. Because Jesus says to them, Have you never read what David, what David did? Now, that would be a poke at him, because these guys are sticklers for the law. And he's basically saying to them, Listen, you guys, have you even read the law? Do you understand what the whole purpose of it was all about? With the unimplied answers, like, obviously you don't. So Jesus says to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry? And he and those who were with him, and how he entered the house of God in the time of Abathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. Now, what's happening here, this is back to a story that we read about in the book of 1 Samuel. And big picture is that Saul was a guy, was, was a king, but Saul's heart would, was rebelling against God, and so God raised up another king, David, a man after his own heart. 
And God raised up David to be the king, and Saul was, was maddenly jealous. And he, was pursue, he wanted to kill David as a result. He wanted to kill David so David couldn't take his throne. And so he and his army, they're chasing him all through the countrysides and all that. And David and his men are fleeing for their life. And they're on the run and they're hungry. And they come to this guy who's the high priest and he doesn't have anything to eat. But the only food that's there is this, it's called the bread of the presence. And what that was in the Old Testament tabernacle, there was a table. And on that table, they would have these 12 loaves of bread. Okay, and these 12 loaves of bread would be stacked up in piles of six. And those 12 would represent the 12 tribes of Israel. And that was for the ceremonial worship, and they would have that regularly. Um, and they, they would always do that. And then they would change that bread. I think about every week they would change the bread. And the bread that was now a week old, the priest could eat. Okay, that they could eat that, but only the priest could eat it. But David and his men are on the run. The high priest gives it to them. And David and his men eat that. They're hungry. They don't have. And so rather than letting these guys go hungry, it says they did what was unlawful. And they, it was unlawful. And yet, nowhere in the Old Testament do we see David or his men condemned for this. But nobody has spoken against that there's anything wrong with this. And Jesus here clearly is also saying to this, there wasn't anything wrong with it. And we're going to have to understand, well, why not? And we'll look at that in just a minute. But as we, as we see this, David did what was unlawful, and Jesus is doing this to expand their understanding of the Sabbath. Because, again, they've made it all about the rule. It's all about the Sabbath. And Jesus states in verse 27, look what he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Another way of saying that is that the Sabbath was made for the good of man. The Sabbath was made for our good. We were not made for the good of the Sabbath. Right? Why did God give the Sabbath? Rest and redemption. And yet, as we see what is going on, that the Pharisees had turned this day that was supposed to be rest and refreshing and about redemption, they have turned what God gave to be a blessing into a burden. It's a burden. Don't do this. 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 And so rather than being refreshed in God and all the things that he has done, the people are like thinking, man, I can't do this. I can't do this. I better pay attention. And so there's no rest. They're caught up in the law and there's no rest because they're trying to have to think, how can I keep all these rules, all these rules? And even this idea of the Sabbath gets turned upside down. Why? Because they lost sight of the purpose. One of the things we need to realize, God gives us his laws for our good. God gives us his laws for our good. In the context of some of the things that we've talked about here often, that God gives us laws, his laws, to help us to achieve a brighter day. You see, when God says, don't lie, don't steal, don't commit adultery, Sometimes we're like, man, God's really restrictive on all these laws. He said you can't do this, can't do that, can't do this. And we hear people often say that. And yet what we know is that God's laws are not to restrict and refine and confine us. His laws are so we can flourish. Because what happens if, let's suppose you're in a relationship. And in a relationship, the other person is lying to you, stealing from you, and is unfaithful to you. You're like, love this freedom in this relationship 
Wonderful, right? No, we hate it. Because we realize that breaking those laws make life harder. God gives us His laws for our good. God gave the Sabbath for the good of His people. As we understand this, one of the things we realize is that God is on our side. He wants our good. He he wants us to flourish. He's not wanting to squash us so that we can't live the way that is going to be best for us. He does what he does for our good. And so Jesus says in verse 27, the Sabbath was made for man for their refreshing, for their rest, for redemption, and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man, he says in verse 28, is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so what we see here is Jesus declares that he is Lord of the Sabbath. Lord of the Sabbath means this. He's Lord. He gets to call the rules. He's the one who defines what's right and what's wrong on the Sabbath. And he's given some clearly in the Word of God, but he's also helping us to see that he is Lord over this. And now, the Pharisees, if they're paying attention, and if we are paying attention through the book of Mark, we're seeing Jesus, if he says he's Lord of the Sabbath, who's he saying he is? He's saying he's God. And and, and he's been doing this through this whole book of Mark. We're seeing Jesus have authority over disease, over sickness, over death. We see him exercising um, over demons. We see him having authority to to even forgive sins. And all these things were helping us to see that, that Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Jesus is God. Are you getting it yet? And here we see this declaration. Jesus says he's the Lord of the Sabbath. He's the one who sets the rules. Well, what happens next? Well, as we continue on, we're going to see how he used another illustration, Mark does, to help us to understand that the law was given to be a blessing, not a burden. Because the law is about blessing, not burden. So, in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he entered the synagogue. Okay, the synagogue is a place of worship. And again, the Jews would worship there, and they'd worship on the Sabbath. And a man was there with a withered hand. And so this man, for some reason, maybe an accident, some sort of paralysis, he is unable to use one of his hands. And he is in the synagogue, and it says, and, and it says to us that, and they, were watch, and they watched him. These are the Pharisees. They watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. And so we see the Pharisees. They're spying on Jesus. They're watching. It's just like somebody came into church. You're not paying any attention to anything that's going on. You're just looking to see if somebody's going to do something to mess up. And you're going to mark it down for them. And you're thinking, that's a pretty ungodly reason to be gathering for worship. Well, that's what they're doing. They're there not to hear what's being taught. Not that they weren't interested in what. They were there to find out, is Jesus going to do something that we can mark uh, off the list and be able to say, he is a Sabbath breaker. He is a law breaker. He says he's God, but God would not work and God would not do the things that Jesus is doing. And so they want their, their, the, the heat is, things are heating up in their hostility towards Jesus. And so they're spying on him. In many ways, they're like sharks in the water. And they're just waiting for a drop of blood. When that drop of blood comes, they're ready to chomp. They're ready to destroy Jesus. Well, as they gather in that, we see that, that Jesus 
is the challenge for them is, is Jesus going to do things that's going to break their law? Now, it's interesting because what do they miss in verse 2? They watched Jesus to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. Do you realize what they're missing is this guy? This man with a withered hand? They don't even care about him. I mean, whether Jesus heals this guy or not, it has nothing to do with this guy. It's all about our law and if Jesus breaks it. And even if Jesus does something that might be good for this man, if he breaks the law, he clearly can't be of God. Because who would act like that? Who would do something good to help somebody else and break God's law? So, so you begin to see, like, wait a minute, there's, this is not, there's something wrong here. These people clearly are not thinking right. They don't care about this man. They don't care about his good. They don't care about what God might do because they would know that if this guy's healed, only God can heal. So they go on. In verse 3, it says this. And Jesus, it says this, And he said to them, said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. Which is interesting because Jesus is saying, All right, I know why these guys are here. I'm not going to leave any question. He's going to call this guy out, calls this guy to publicly come to them, that he was going to publicly come to them to help them to understand that, that this is, there's no secrets. What's Jesus doing? He says, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? Jesus asked him a question, he, which is beautiful by the way, when we think about engaging with others and who might be hostile to Christianity, hostile to us, hostile to the gospel, to be able to ask good questions. Because good questions reveal the heart. Because Jesus asked him this question, is it right to do good on the Sabbath? We could turn it around. He could say this, is it legal to do what is moral? Is it legal to do what is right to do what is good, to save a life, even on the Sabbath. May we say it this way. Is it lawful to love others in practical ways on the Sabbath? Maybe we could ask it another way. Is it lawful to reflect the work of God on the Sabbath? We start to ask the question that way, and it's like, well, of course it's right to do good on the Sabbath. Well, of course it's right to show love in practical ways on the Sabbath. Of course it is. That would be our answer, right? What do the Pharisees do? He says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? But they were silent. See, because to them it wasn't about doing good, saving life. It's all about the rule. Don't do it. And so they did not want their view of these rules to be challenged at all. They didn't want it to be real. And even if they're recognized, they're just not going to answer. And so what does Jesus do? Verse 5, he looked around at them and with anger grieved at the hardness of their hearts. It's an interesting statement, isn't it, that we see Jesus in this, that Jesus in his heart is grieving. He, he's, he's angry. He's angry because these people, they don't get it. 
They don't care about this guy with a withered hand who good can be done to. They don't care about that. And Jesus is grieved over that, that they're missing that. They're missing that, Jesus, they don't understand the whole basis for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was God doing good for us and to be a good thing about rest and redemption and refreshing. But they've made it all about the law. Just don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. That's all that matters. And Jesus is angry about this, but he's also grieved. We see Jesus in his grief that we realize these guys, their hearts are on full display. Their hearts are on full display. They have made the rules and their desire to investigate Jesus and all of that, they've made it more important than people. They've made it more important than good. They've made it more important than love. And he says it's because of the hardness of their heart. Definition of the hardness of heart. Um, John MacArthur described the hardness of heart this way. The hardness of heart is the inability to understand because of a rebellious attitude. The hardness of heart is the inability to understand. And so somebody with a hard heart, they just don't get it. They, I mean, you can you talk to them, they're blue in your face, and they just don't get it. But they don't get it because they're stupid. They don't get it because they're ignorant. They don't get it because they have a too low of an IQ. They have a hard heart. They're unable to understand because of their rebellious attitude. I'm not going to do it your way, God. I'm not going to do it your way, Mom. I'm not going to do what you say. I'm not going to listen. I want what I want. And this rebellious attitude shuts our eyes and our ears to truth. And we begin to have very hard hearts. The hardness of heart is an inability to understand because of a rebellious attitude. And we see this, though. Jesus, though he responds with anger, though he responds with grief, we also see Jesus respond with grace. We see Jesus respond with grace. And as we see, how does Jesus respond with grace? Well, clearly, the man with the withered hand, Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. So this guy who shows up to the synagogue, he's there to worship God that day. He's expecting to go in with the withered hand, and he's expecting to go home with the withered hand. He was there to worship God. It'd be great, but he, we don't get the idea he was there for that. But now, Jesus says to him, stretch out your hand. His hand is stretched out, and now his life's going to be different. I mean, think about just the day-to-day things this guy is now able to do. You know, before, he's got... He's got he can't use this hand. I mean, so he's trying to cut a steak. Well, I, I can't do that very well. You know, he's trying to play baseball. Can't do that very well because I've got a withered hand. I can't work. I can't, I can't work like other men work. I can't do that. But now Jesus has demonstrated love and grace, and he has allowed this man's hand to be, his withered hand to be healed. But I, I would propose to you as well, Jesus is not only gracious to the man with the withered hand, that he is also gracious to the Pharisees. That he's gracious to the Pharisees because he gives them another opportunity. He gives them another opportunity to see with their eyes what their hearts refuse to believe. Jesus performed a miracle right in front of them. An opportunity for them to see that, that he is everything that he says he is. An opportunity for them to get it, but they don't. And yet Jesus is being gracious to them. 
and that Jesus is he's that good to us. Well, what was the response in verse 6? It says, The Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. So the Pharisees, they go out, and this group of Herodians are Jewish people who were involved with the political leaders of Herod's kingdom, of the Roman kingdom. Therefore, that's why they're the Herodians, Herod. Okay, they're, they're political party associated with that. And they go to work with them to how they might do what? To destroy him. They're blind. They're blind to their sin. They're blind to their rebellion. And yet in the midst of all of this, what has Jesus just done for them? Earlier, Jesus declared that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. And right here, what does Jesus do? He proves that he is Lord of the Sabbath. How does he prove it? Stretch out your hand. He does what only God could do. As we understand that, Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath. We do not have a God who has come to give us arbitrary rules to clamp down on us so that we will be miserable. The God has come for us. He has come for our good. That this idea of rest on the Sabbath is about redemption. It is about rest. And ultimately, Jesus fulfills all that. As we would read on through the New Testament... Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. He raises from the dead so that we, that all who call upon him will have new life. As we continue to read in the New Testament, we see that the Sabbath day, the Sabbath, was a shadow of the good things to come, which is Jesus. That we learn that Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus is the one who gives us rest. He is the one who gives us redemption. As a believer, you enter into the rest of God. As a believer, every day is Sabbath. Because every day you have been freed from the work to try to earn your way to God. That way has been provided through Jesus. And as believers, we rest. And as the early church, they moved worship from Saturday, this day of Sabbath. They moved it to this first day of the week because of the resurrection of Jesus. And this new day that has come is a day of rest for all of us. And that we live in light of that. We live in light of God's goodness to us. The Sabbath was a shadow and Jesus is the substance. He has come and now we enter into, uh, into his rest. And as we think about these rules... It, listen, it is so easy for us to focus on rules. We think about immorality. We don't want people to be immoral. Okay, what happens? There can be very immoral dancing, so we say, don't dance. We know that gambling can become an addiction, a problem, and so we set a rule, don't play cards. We know that there are things in movies that are, are, aren't good, aren't healthy, and so we make a rule, don't go to the movies. But then we think, Well, what has God done for us? Because we read in the Bible about people dancing. That maybe it's not the dancing that's the problem. Maybe the problem is the manner in which we dance. And so we focus on a rule and we miss the reason. We we, we miss the fact that maybe God has given us cards and games that we can have a lot of fun with. That we can play games, but we can also recognize, but there are some card games that might lead to addiction. And rather than thinking hard and being discerning, we just say, "Don't, nope, no cards. And realizing that there are movies that can entertain us in healthy ways, can educate us, and to realize that there are movies that can be good for us, we say, no movies. 
Why? Very often because we, 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 it's just easier. And, and because of that, it becomes about the rules. And the challenge when it comes about the rules is that those who keep the rules, it's very easy for them to become self-righteous and look how good I am because I'm keeping these rules. I'm not doing these things. Now, there may be some things that God cares. I'm not loving my neighbor, really not loving my wife the way I should. Some of these things may not be going, but I'm keeping these rules. And so a self-righteousness and also then look down on others like the Pharisees that, that listen, if, if you go to the movies, dance, or, or, or play cards, then you must not love God. There's no way you could love God and do that. We miss the reasons for the rules because God's given us all things for our good. And so it's wise for us to think hard about how do we keep the rules? What rules do we keep? Why do we keep them? What's God's intention? And God's intention is that we would be a holy people who love Him. And so it would be really wise for us to establish, surround ourselves with some things that we don't want to do because we don't want to sin. But we also have to be careful that we don't make it all about the rules. And listen, I just want to put a little tag on here too because there, are, there is a, almost a generation of... of People my age and maybe a little younger who grew up in a, in a context where don't doing those things were all about the rules. And many of them have walked away from the church and thinking, well, that church, they're hypocritical because it's all about the rules, blah, 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 Jesus and all this stuff. Listen, I just want to say, if you're a part of that, that or you have friends that are a part of that, I want to encourage you to show some grace. Because the people that were putting those rules in place they weren't like the Pharisees with hard hearts and didn't like God and didn't want to do it. They were doing what they thought was right. They were doing much of what they were taught. And I would encourage you, show them some grace. And, not have, and then I would encourage you to talk to some of those who may be in that. And because, listen, I mean, do, do, I don't think hardly any of us know somebody that would say that these things are always wrong. Every movie, every card game, um, every kind of dance is sinful. I don't know anybody that would say that. And so, show some grace. But listen, as we think about our rules, as we think about this, this does, Jesus isn't saying rules don't matter. He said God gave rules, but we need to understand the reasons for them and to live to pursue those reasons. And those reasons are ultimately so that we would love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we would love our neighbor as ourselves, that we would be a holy people who delight in a God who is good to us. Because He is good to us. And He wants us to flourish. As we conclude this morning, I want to encourage you to, to examine, how do you see God's rules? How do you see the rules of others? Do you understand the purposes that are behind them, underneath them? Are you pursuing those ends, the good of others, the rest and redemption that we have in Jesus? And I pray that it wouldn't just be the rules for the rules' sake. That we would live as free people who love God and want to follow Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we want to follow His commands for the right reasons. So I encourage you this morning to examine yourself. Am I living up to the gospel of Jesus and what he's done for me? Am I living consistent with the rules that he has made for me? Am I guarding my heart against creating rules that others, I expect them to follow, but I'm really not explaining the reasons behind them? I want to encourage us this morning as we conclude to be, to be thinking about this. At the bottom of your notes, there are some, some points that I would encourage you to think about as we receive our offering in just a moment. 
but to be praying and giving thanks to God for his goodness to us. Well, if our ushers will come for our morning offering, we'll pray, we'll receive our morning offering. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for you. Lord, as we see, even in the midst of Jesus being angered and grieved, he showed grace to the Pharisees. He allowed them to see another miracle. Lord, we thank you that you are the Lord of the Sabbath. Lord, that you are a God who has come to give us rest. You have come, you've given us redemption. You have purchased us out of the slavery of sin. Lord, you want us to be refreshed in you. And so God, help us. Help us to live according to your truth. Help us to live according to your law. Help us to live according to your, your, your love and that we would flourish as we seek to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.